I'm excited. So without any further ado, here's Matt Gonzalez. Amen. <laughs> Love you, bro. Come on. Oh, man, you guys are awesome. And you know, uh, you know, this morning, I'm here to invite you into what God has already convinced about you. I'm going to say it again. This morning, I'm here to give you an invitation into what God's already convinced about you. <laughs> and we're going to talk about this in just a few minutes and uh, moments. But you know, uh, the prophet Mike Tyson, <laughs> I know he's not the prophet. <laughs> I'm going to get some slack for that probably online, but it's all right. Uh, the prophet Mike Tyson said this. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I love that because that explains 2020, right? Especially for a lot of the prophets. Like, everybody thought they saw what 2020 was going to happen. Hey, not too many saw what was coming, right? 2020 is like one of those moments where it's like, okay, we had a plan. We were like, so many people were excited in 2020, 2020's here. We're stepping into this, all, all this. And then it's like, we got punched in the mouth, right? I, I have another version of that. Believers act like Christians until they get triggered. <laughs> All right, but he smile. All right? How many know many times believers act like Christians until they get triggered? I thought about this. I remember when I was younger, uh, there were, there, Mexican music triggers me. And I got to explain that. I got to explain this. I got to explain this. Growing up and being at my grandma's house on a Saturday, all I wanted to do was watch cartoons. But when you're asleep and you understand, come on, if you grew up in Mexican culture, you understand this. When your grandma wakes up playing ranchera music or bondo music, you know something's about to happen. You're about to get to work. Because when grandma turns on the Mexican music, she breaks out the broom, the pan, the mop, I mean everything. And I'm like, man, I just wanted to watch cartoons and eat my cereal. I was triggered. Because on Saturday when the Mexican music starts, you about to get to work, son. Hey, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I, I thought about how many times right now, even as we as believers, uh, we've been triggered. And uh, I want to have a continuation of what I was uh, sharing on Friday night. Going to go a little deeper into that. But there's something that happens when we are triggered. Many different things, and you know, there's a recent movie that just came out uh, in movie theaters. I don't know if it went to movie theaters, because like, almost every movie theater is closed right now. But Russell Crowe uh, plays this uh, guy, and it's called Unhinged. And basically, it's about being triggered, right? Uh, it's when everything builds up in your life, and you don't have an expression for that, and the littlest thing triggers you. And then what happens, you now begin to walk out of that emotional experience of being triggered. Come on, how I many you know what I'm talking about? Right? Hey, uh, let me ask this. Has anybody in here ever been triggered? Guy in the back has both hands up and legs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's something specific about this, and I, and I want to give this to you just a moment because we're going to continue, like I said, what we were actually talking about on uh, Friday but I want to give you this because I think it's so interesting because I'm watching our nation, specifically believers. See, pre-believers, 
don't have any other option. They many times only know one way. But I mean, you know, as believers in Christ, we were given a higher standard. Come on. Everybody smile. (laughs) We're given a higher standard. So there is a opportunity and way that we are to pursue our relationship with Christ, but also pursue our relationship with the world around us. Right? And this year I have seen so many believers triggered. And the fruit that is within them has now started to become out of them. Some of it's been good, but I mean, some of it's been really sour. You ever eaten fruit out of season? Don't taste good. Many times you can get sick. You ever eaten bad fruit? How about not only fruit out of season, but you ever eaten fruit that's past season? That's, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like eating bananas that are like, <laughs> yeah, y'all get that. Some of y'all are like, I'm hungry, so quit talking about food. You know, many times, uh, as triggers, many times we feel the push or transition. As I was talking on Friday, uh, the body of Christ, we're all in a major transition. It's a new era. It's a new season. It's an epic transition. There's two words in Scripture that describe time, chronos and then keros. Uh, This isn't a chronos time. This is a keros time. It's a God-ordained time. It's an epoch season that we all stepped into. So we're in a major transition. And uh, I'll explain more about what that looks like. But sometimes in transition, in transition, we get triggered. There are trigger moments that happen as an emotional experience that does not line up with our current reality. I'm going to say that again. Many times there is a trigger moment that creates an emotional experience that does not line up with our current reality. And uh, we start doing all the mental checks. I don't know if you've been there. We do all the mental checks. Okay, why? why? I, I understand what I'm feeling inside, but my external, I got I to check everything external because I don't know what's causing the external to cause the internal. So we're doing all these checks, mental checks, assessment. Well, my health's good. My family's good. My finances are good. And so we are trying to find the cause for the chaos that we're spending, experiencing within. And so many times in transition, we feel chaos inside, but we don't have language to experience what we're feeling. And we're trying to to check what's happening on the outside. You following me? See, one of the reasons it's so difficult to assess things is that the impact of transition that's now upon us does not necessarily bear any relation to the apparent importance of the change that triggered it. <laughs> I mean, y'all got quiet. Right? And so sometimes when that happens, we move to the blame game. We start blaming things on the outside for the reason why we're feeling on the inside. Not realizing that if we could actually understand what's happening on the inside, we would know how to shift gears and move forward. Okay? Saying that, we are in a huge transition right now. As I was sharing on Friday, Part of this transition, if I can give you language, some of you guys are going through personal transitions, right? It's an invitation for maturity, for upgrades. 
But as a body of Christ, as a body here, core church, uh, you guys are also going through the transition of stepping into the new, stepping out of the old, stepping into the new, right? In North America right now, what's happening is that we've relied so long on the old system. And we found out that the system's broken, and God's trying to give us an upgrade to pull us out of the system. You know, uh, a good friend uh, who's become a good friend of ours, a prophetess by the name of Susan Miller. I was just with her and Michael Dalton in uh, Amarillo, Texas, doing a kingdom in the Canyon Conference. And hopefully we'll do a kingdom in the Conroe Conference here soon. It'd be awesome. While we were there, she brought such a profound and, pre and precise prophetic word. It actually gave me language to what God is wanting to do right now. And if I could actually uh, piggyback on what she shared, I want to share this with you. She uh, had some, uh, some props. She had a, a train, a, uh, like a little sports car, and then she had this all-terrain vehicle. And she began to explain right now what's happening in the body of Christ is, and this is, this is my interpretation, is that we're all on the train. We're all on a train, on a train track, heading to a destination. The issue is, the season doesn't require a train. How many know when you travel right now, train's not the only option in traveling? We got here on a plane. But when they first created a train years ago, that was the only way of transportation. Right? It was a train, and they made train tracks. The issue is, when you travel on the train right now, it's still taking you the same direction because you, when you're on the train, you can't get off and go off-road because the train tracks have been pre-laid down. You're on the train. The train goes a certain speed. Some of them go a little faster, and it's the same scenery. Why? Because the train can't go off the tracks, right? And so many of us have been on the train, and these trains go back decades, I mean years, Right? We're on this train, and we're all on the train together going somewhere. The issue is God's moving outside the train. The way we've always known how to do it in travel, we keep doing it the same way, and we've learned how to do it without God. <laughs> and so what God's trying to do, he's trying to wake up the church and say, no, no, the vehicle for this season, remember we talked about Friday, that God wants to give us new vision, vocabulary, come on, vehicle. Now, let me refresh your mind. There's four words that I feel like are so key in this season, and I want to give them to you. You ready for this? Vision, values, vocabulary, and vehicle. And I believe many times the church, we're good with vision, and values, but we never go to where because we don't have the vocabulary or the vehicle. See, the vocabulary makes the culture. It's the ability to communicate in such a way that everybody gets it. But you can have vision, value, and vocabulary, but if you don't got the vehicle, you don't go nowhere. See, the vehicle of choice right now that I believe the Lord, and I'm just, this is an analogy. It's, it's, I'm painting the picture for you. The vehicle of choice that the Lord is choosing is an off-road terrain vehicle. Why? Because he's calling people to go to take places that they've never been before. If I'm on an off-road terrain vehicle, how many know I could go? Let's say I was on my way to Conroe, me, my wife, Desiree, and Gavin. Which, Gavin, you want to say hi to everybody? No? Ah, uh, maybe later. 
just wave, wave everybody. No? Okay. And um, if we chose a train to get here compared to an off-road vehicle, how many of you know the train would get us there, but the off-road vehicle would get us there faster? Because it's able to go places that the train can't go. Now, let me give you some language for this. What does this mean? Many times in church culture, we're always doing the same thing because that's all we know and that's what we've ever been taught because we're afraid to take risk. We're afraid that if we go a way that no one's ever been, that we'll miss God when God's saying, no, I'm already there. <laughs> all right, let, let's, let me give you, oh, I don't want to jump ahead. Oh, I still have, all right. So I truly believe that we're in this time where God's trying to give us an upgrade in the vehicle that's going to go off-road. That we're going to actually go places that we've never been before because there's people there that we've never reached before. <laughs> so, and so many times, many times at church, we're the resistor of the new. I shared this on Friday, like when media first started becoming a reality to the church, we rejected it and created Christian television. Now, there's nothing wrong with Christian television, but I believe God's original intent and purpose for, the, for believers to enter into media wasn't just to have a Christian version. Because that's what we do many times. We build the Christian version of it, not the kingdom version. Oh, I don't know if you got that. Sometimes when we create something, it could be covert, but sometimes it needs to be overt. <laughs> or technology, internet. Oh, don't get involved. I mean, we had pastors that would stand up in front of the congregation telling people not to get involved in the internet because it was evil. Now, almost every church is online. I mean, we got some right now. Right? And so many times we deem evil a tool that God actually meant for advancement. So we got to, in other words, we have to be slow to judge and have our ear on the Father's heart, not to be so fearful. You know, I, it was interesting because when we were on our way uh, this morning in the car with Raquel drinking our Starbucks and we were talking, I noticed a song came on on the radio. It was uh, Kim Walker, Oh How He Loves Us. And I don't know why, just during my day, there many times God speak to, uh, speaks to us in unusual ways. He'll, he'll cause something to happen that catches our attention, but if we don't tune into it, we miss an opportunity because it's so subtle. So I don't know why I was, I was I my eyes got zoned into that, but I, I made a mind check. And then Chris is up here talking about love, and so I'm seeing this theme this morning that God's trying to talk about his perfect love. And the reason that is, if any area of my life where I have some sort of fear, I'm lacking a revelation of his perfect love. Because every decision in my life will always be out of either fear or love. Every decision I make in life will either be from a place of love or fear. And if I have any area of fear in my life that is serving like a fence to block me, to keep me in, 
then it's an area I have not experienced a revelation of God's perfect love. Oh, come on, somebody. So, because perfect love cast out. But in the same aspect, fear can actually cast out. Oh, that's why God hates religion. Because religion, the center of religion is not love, it's control. And when you have control, you have fear. So anytime love tries to come in, fear casts out. Oh, that's why God's delivering people out of religion. God don't like religion. He loves the kingdom. He don't like religion because the kingdom and religion are two different things. He came to bring the message of the kingdom, not the message of religion. And many believers in, in North America, we still think that Jesus came to create Christianity. He came to bring the kingdom. See? Let me help you. The religion of Christianity, if that's where our revelation stops, will always try to be like Christ. But the kingdom always makes Christ within you. I don't know if you got that. Now, I'm not saying that we don't become Christ-like, but he actually wants to live inside of you. That was his whole purpose. His whole purpose wasn't just to get you to heaven. It was to get heaven inside of you. <laughs> Come on. Now, we want to be Christ-like. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we don't be Christ-like. I am saying, though, that is more that he wants to live inside of us. Scripture promises the fullness of his character and nature living within us on the seat of our heart. There's a big difference. And so part of my story and testimony was I was saved into the kingdom, but I got lost in religion. It, it happened to me. I was radically saved in 1994. I experienced the kingdom and the king. And then what happened, I was discipled by religion. So I was saved into the kingdom, but I was lost in religion. And it was so interesting. Because I realized... What so many have been awakened to even right now is that sometimes you can be saved in the kingdom, but when you stay in religion long enough, you become religious. And never once was that the Father's intent for us. But a lot of it is because of our perception or perspective. I love church. I hate religion. Right? And I propose to you that most of the world hates religion. But if they actually got a taste of what it meant to be a believer, they probably would love it. But what happens is we try to give them religion, what we were taught. And then we come in systems and structures where we're taught just to believe this. This is how we're discipled. Just believe this. this is what you need to believe. Don't test it and don't question it. Right? Don't question it. Don't test it. But then Jesus was the total opposite. He would ask, see, religion always wants to teach you 
how to think. No, I'm sorry, what to think. The kingdom wants to teach you how to think. How do we know this? Jesus never once told the disciples he would actually come to them and ask questions. Why? Because he wanted disciples to find out the answer. He wanted them to take personal responsibility because when you begin to ask a person a question, you give them the opportunity to now take responsibility. <laughs> Read the Gospels. He would ask them questions. It wasn't because he didn't know the answer. See, and we still hold on. Religion still holds on to this idea that our sin changes God's response towards us. Uh oh, now I felt that like tight neck. If that was true, God would have never stepped off his throne to come to Adam and Eve when the greatest sin took place. He came to them asking questions Where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where they were. He wanted to let them know how far they had fallen where they were. And yet he still came to them. And we believe this lie that we have the power to actually change God. If you actually read what happened in Genesis, God's response to their sin didn't change his response towards them. It just changed their awareness of where he was. Oh, no, 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 no. In Genesis, think about it. I feel like we have to go here for a moment. In Genesis, they ate of the fruit, and it says their eyes were closed, and yet another set of eyes were open. Their ability to see God was now, because they ate of the fruit, disobeyed, their eyes were shut. How do we know that? Because the next paragraph, it says they heard God. They went from seeing God to now only hearing him. Why? Because when they ate of the fruit, it says it was a fruit of good and evil. This is where religion came in. They ate of a fruit that's now a system to judge themselves apart from what God already spoke over them. They were created in God's goodness. They only knew good. They didn't have to know good and evil. And a good father was trying to protect them because, you know, the moment you eat of the fruit, you're going to begin to question the very thing I made you in. <laughs> they started questioning their identity. Here's, here's a snake, Satan. Are you, are you, see, God knows if you eat of the fruit, you'll surely become like him which they were already inheritant through identity created in his image and likeness. They were everywhere like God. So eyes were open, other eyes were shut. And now they were given a system to judge everything, including themselves around them, according to good and evil, a system. A system. Did you get that? And man keeps creating the system to judge themselves in the goodness of God. It's called religion. And we're in this system that God's trying to break us out of. Because we keep trying to judge the world. 
Now actually go reach them. Love on them. Give them opportunity. Most of us wouldn't even be in this room in this church if God actually treated us the way we treat the world. We want the world to get cleaned up so they can come in here. When God came to us, cleaned us up. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, it's so good. He's so much better than we can imagine or think. And he keeps pursuing us over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> Saved into the kingdom but lost in religion. And part of this system causes us to go, Even think about evangelism. Matthew, I got to read you this real quick, okay? We're going somewhere. I have until, I think they said, 4 o'clock today, right? <laughs> Matthew 28, 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. See, even Jesus sent them to the mountains. <laughs> when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Remember, Friday I told you about this. God can't work with unbelief, but he can work with doubt. Religion will get you into guilt and shame because you doubt something. God doesn't do that. He's willing to work with doubt. He doesn't work with unbelief because unbelief is actually works against God. Right here, we see it. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. Remember, some of these people were doubtful and he still gave them an assignment. Saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Not stay. Not run into a building. Not make the church a panic room. That we run away from the world. He said, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. How do you teach someone to observe? How do you observe something? You watch. Teach the world to watch your life according to what I put in there and commanded so they would see the manifestation of it. Oh. And then he leaves and he drops this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now watch this. Religion interprets evangelism as creating converts. We interpret that. Now guys, go out and convert people. Go convert them to become a Christian and to come to our church. I wonder if the church would be willing to get involved in evangelism if the people would not even come to the church. Maybe that's what's keeping us from actually having evangelism outreaches with other churches because I caught those fish. <laughs> not core church. 
Because family don't do that. Family recognize family. Jesus recognized that because they came to him, the disciples said, hey, there's somebody casting out demons and they're not walking with us. He goes, he's neither against us nor with us, but he's actually doing the kingdom, so he's actually with us. Here's the issue. A convert will change religion, but a disciple changes a master. He said make disciples, not converts. See, a convert will follow a system, but a disciple follows a person. Oh, I don't know if you got that. That was too good. That was better than your reaction. See, a convert will follow a system, but a disciple follows a person. A convert will always build Christendom, but disciples built the kingdom. And maybe the problem is, is that we've built Christendom, not kingdom. Teach them to observe. <laughs> and this is how we could tell the manifestation of this. Because when chaos happens in the world, a convert, because they're created to a system, will always act like an activist rather than an ambassador. Because converts at their root aren't going, they're defending. Oh, oh, oh. he didn't say defend, he said go. Right now in America, football's being played. Some people aren't here because they're watching football probably. No, I'm just messing. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm messing around. Come on, we can laugh. Well, I don't know. I, I guess West Coast. I forgot. I'm on, I'm on West Coast time. They're not playing football yet. I think it's about to start soon. But you know the team on offense because they have the ball. Jesus gave you the ball. That's why he said all authority on heaven and earth is now given to you. I give to you. Go. You're on offense. The kingdom of God is always offensive. It's never defensive. Matter of fact, you've heard it said before. I think Pastor Chris has said it before. The uh, armor of God, right? There's no defensive, there's no protection of the armor of God for your behind. Right? Because you're never supposed to run from battle. You run to it. Right? In the same aspect, we're to go. We're supposed to be offensive. But many times believers are offensive as activists, not as ambassadors. And with the political system right now, we have Christian activists, not Christian ambassadors. Big difference. Okay, some of us, all right, some of y'all need some more? Okay, I'll give you some more. The definition of an activist, watch this, is a person who uses or supports strong actions for, oppo for opposition of a controversial issue. Definition of activist. Now here's the definition of an ambassador. A diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident and representative of his, gov his or her government appointed for a special diplomatic assignment. Authorized messenger. I don't know, did you get the difference of that? Scripture says you're ambassadors. It didn't say ever to be an activist. Matter of fact, the only time, one of the times you see a disciple become an activist, Jesus rebuked him. 
Remember when they came to arrest Jesus and Peter took out his sword? He went activism. All right? He cut off the guy's ear and, got, and Jesus said, no, no, you don't do it that way. Matter of fact, he picked Malchias' ear up and put it back on. And Jesus was actually given a prophetic model of what was to come. That activism will cut ears off, but Jesus wants to put the ears back on the world so they can hear him again. Ambassadors put ears on. Activists tear them off. And it's time. This is the shift. We can't be activists. Because you know what an activist does? An activist is fighting for something that many times they don't have. But as an ambassador, I already know who, I've read the whole Bible. I know who wins. I'm on the winning team. My place is from victory. So it doesn't matter what's happening around me because he's already won. And so now I just get to enforce as an ambassador his victory. So I have been given permission, right? Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. You want to know what you're an ambassador to? Life and life more abundantly. The opposition, it just says that the thief comes to what? So you have been given permission already by all authority in heaven and on earth to go out and reclaim anything that's been stolen, that's been destroyed, or where there's death. He already spoke and gave you permission. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, that's why it says Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of, and what are the works? That's what scripture says. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he comes to rob, bring destruction, and take life. So you have been given the assignment as an ambassador that everything that's been torn down to build back up, anything that's been stolen, you begin the authority to reclaim back. And anything that's dying or dead, you've been given permission to bring life into. So if your marriage is dying, you've already been given authority to put life back into that thing. Everybody smile. It's It's getting lighter and stronger in here. See, we need to know. I told you this morning, I'm going to give you an invitation into what he already believes about you. <laughs> We're moving from activism to ambassadors. Why? How many know? Because Jesus said to demonstrate the kingdom. But how many know demonstration in the mind of an activist is going to look different than in the mind of an ambassador? And as Protestants... Because of the last reformation, we still act like activists in our demonstration rather than ambassadors in our demonstration. <laughs> Meaning, anytime there's a cause, rather than going and just demonstrating the kingdom, we want to have picket lines of demonstration in front of the abortion clinic. Uh-oh, I think I might step on some toes, sorry. Now, hear my heart on that. 
if there's an injustice, demonstration as an activist isn't always going to get our job done. But as an ambassador, if I really do believe I have something that changes and transforms someone's life, sometimes it's just one conversation that will change a narrative. Not my sign. Like, so we did campus ministry for years, and one of the things that happened, this abortion um, uh, cause, they were Christians, and they would have, like, stand on the campus, and they would have these really graphic pictures of abortion. And so what happened, they used our name. They said that they were our group. They're a part of our group. So our, our name was Carpe Diem Christian Fellowship, and they lied to get on the campus to have a demonstration on abortion. And it, and it really built a bad name towards it. I had to clean it up. And I was so frustrated. I had a conversation with this guy because we, we didn't do that. We just we released the kingdom. And, and I'm like, okay, why are you doing this? And he, he could not give me a good reason why he was doing it. And it, man, Chris, it ticked me off. Oh, man, I almost moved into an activist. <laughs> but I learned something that day. As I began to humble myself, because we, we actually did a follow-up outreach, and I remember apologizing on the mic to the campus, it really opened up conversation. And sometimes, see, as an activist, it's going to be really hard to have a conversation with somebody because you're actually trying to rise up in offense to force what you believe upon somebody. When I'm at a table with somebody in a conversation, I can honor who they are without tripping up on what they believe. <laughs> That's why we do a podcast. Our whole reason why we do a podcast is we believe that one conversation can change a narrative. We're not on this saying, da, 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 da. we're having a conversation. And we're inviting everybody in to hear that conversation because maybe one thought in that conversation can spark something in them. See, I believe we're moving from platforms of activism to tables where everybody has a seat. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. So think about this. If our mindset of evangelism was shifted to converts rather than disciples, we've also misinterpreted what the church was. Oh, okay. See, in the system, see, I, I got to give you this, and then we're going to jump somewhere. We're going to do a quick pivot, and we're done. Is that all right? Oh, we should be done already, huh? I didn't realize that. Are we good? Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Um, the concept of the kingdom is complete opposite of religion. And because of that, a kingdom consists with the king and citizens, but religion consists of members. I'm going to say it again. The concept of a kingdom consists of a king with citizens, but religion consists of members. I don't know if you got that. So because we've been stuck in a system of religion, we've had members, not co-laborers. Remember, we talked about this on Friday. 
We're stuck in consumerism rather than producing. <laughs> so the concept of church through the lens of the gospel of salvation, not the lens of the gospel of the kingdom. What has happened, it's made it the epic center. Religion has made the church the epic center of membership and duty. And so what happens, watch this. Jesus comes to the disciples one day and he asks them a question. It was a game changer moment in the history of the gospels. He says, who do men say I am? It wasn't because Jesus didn't know his identity, his I am statement. He wasn't looking for somebody to tell him his election. He wanted to find out if they had the revelation in their heart that was going to be the game changer. And every single one of them, except one, said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. They started quoting what they heard. And then he says, well, who do you say I am? And many of them continue to quote back what they heard. See, I'm convinced that America has a version of Jesus that's not the version in the Bible. And it's like that song that Eminem said, we're waiting for the real Jesus to please stand up. Because we have all these multiple Jesuses that North America has created, but not, but they're, they're not been the one that, <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right? And so, Peter says, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for this day you will become Peter. What was he saying? Because you understood who I am, you're now about to understand who you are. He had a name change. His identity was changed. The world was trying to change the identity of who Jesus was, but one man understood who Jesus was, and it changed his identity. He goes, no longer will you be Simon Barjona. You're going to be Peter. And upon this rock, see, Simon Barjona, actually that word, his name meant broken reed. It meant passivity, passive one. And he goes, no, now you're going to be Peter, Petra, rock. In one moment's time, you're going to get an upgrade from being something that's broken to now being totally whole and a rock in which others can stand on. He said, this is the revelation my church will be built upon. And the keys of heaven will be given to you. What you bind on earth, you bind on heaven. What you be loose on earth, be loosened in heaven. And it's interesting because he goes, I'll give you the keys to build the kingdom I'll build my church. And religion gets those assignments backwards. We're trying to ask God to build the kingdom, and we're trying to build the church. It's not what he said. Not what he said. So what happens here? It's so dynamic what happens here. Because it was a game-changer moment. He said, you will not give keys to open and unlock if you understand who I am. Because you'll understand who you are. Oh. 
And then he says the word church. This is the first time we see the word church. But I got to give you something because it's going to it's going to mess. Like if I tell you something right now, you're not responsible for it. See, it's on the heart of Pastor Chris and Raquel. They already got it. And I believe many of you guys here got it, but some of you guys may have not got it yet. So what I'm about to give you is now truth. You'll be responsible for it. So it'd be better for you to walk out and not hear what I'm about to tell you because once I tell you this, everything's changing. Are you, re- are you sure? Okay. The Lord said, according to that scripture, I'm going to bring a new institution. The church. I'm establishing a new institution called the church. He said in the Matthew 16, that word church was the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia was changed. Man changed it into the word Anglo-Saxon, the Anglo-Saxon word church. It was ecclesia, and man cha- and, and we changed it into church. Ninety-seven percent of the cases where the word church is written in the original scripture, it's actually the word ecclesia. Only three percent is the word term used: assembly or congregation. Ninety-seven percent, it's ecclesia. Three percent, it's assembly or congregation. And ecclesia was actually a secular term. Think about this. Jesus used a secular term <laughs> to explain what he was about to create. He could have used, he could have said priest. He could have said, I'm building the tabernacle. I mean, there was tons of language, but he said ecclesia. Ecclesia was a secular worm. It was, it was actually a term that meant the gathering of government officials that met in the city to determine the affairs of the city. It was a governmental, governmental word. That's how strong that word was. It was governmental in nature because he was bringing a kingdom, not a church. Church is part of the kingdom, though. Hear what I'm saying. Ecclesia is part of the kingdom. And it means that we actually have the ability to shift what's taking place in our city. But we've relegated to a watered-down assembly of members, not citizens. I don't know if you got that. Members, not citizens. Members belong to a country club. We're not a country club. We're kingdom citizens that have an assignment to turn the world upside down. It was a core. Do you understand that? The original ecclesia was a core that gathered to determine the affairs of the city. <laughs> a few more minutes. If you're done before I'm done, feel free to go. So what do I, why am I sharing all this? Because tell your neighbor, ask your neighbor, are you ready for the shift? Oh, man, that was not like kingdom citizens. That, lo- that was like members right there. Okay, tell your, <laughs> tell your neighbor, are you ready for the shift? 
Several shifts that are happening, I want to prophesy to you as core church right now, several, several shifts that God wants to, to shift. Number one is relational shifts. Matthew 20, 21. If you want to meditate on that scripture, it's when uh, the mother of John's, John and James came to Jesus asking if her sons could sit at the right or the left. And it's interesting because Jesus' response, he didn't rebuke her. He just said, I can neither promise that. For only my father can do that. And what do I mean by that? There is a relational shift that is coming that we have to be able to shift gears in. And what I mean is that we have to look at the relationships that we're connected with. Because in reality, I am going to give an account to God on how I use my time here on earth. And, um, oh, man, I hope so, man. I have permission? Okay, okay. So a good friend of mine named Dub Alexander has a word he uses. He calls people, he said, there are certain people that you don't invest your time into. And he calls these people assholes. Assholes. And these are people who are constantly pulling on you, but they have such a deep hole in them that every time you invest in it, it goes right through them because they have no root. Okay. Right now is a time. <laughs> Man, I, I thought that got tight. I said ask. And what happens so many times, we don't recognize maybe we were that person. Because God keeps seeing. God will always come to us to give us an invitation for wholeness. But if we keep giving it up, do we keep having that hole? And we wonder why people don't want to invest in us. Now, here in my heart, if, if after five, six, seven times we've gone after people to invest in us and they keep turning us down, maybe the issue is not them, maybe the issue is us. And sometimes we don't want to recognize that. I've recognized that in my own life earlier on. And so we have to, oh, man, I could feel that. Uh, come on, guys. Let, let, let's just be honest. Sometimes we're always blaming other people, but we don't want to look on inside. And here's the thing. God always gives us invitation to get healed and become whole. So that way, when somebody's investing in us their time, and their energy and their strength, right? We grow. We're, we have to become a good investment for people to invest in us. You talk to any business leader, they're not going to invest in something that's bad ground. It's so funny how Christians and business can believe that principle. When it comes to church, they like let it go. Like, am I a good investment? Now, hear my heart. I... God already loves you. That's not the issue. The issue, God loves you already. He loves you all that. He, you got all his love. But the, the, here's, here's, here's where things shift. Even though God loves me and he gives me invitation time and time again, have I become a good investment with that love? Now, this isn't an excuse to cut off people that we don't like. Here's the other side. Now, I'm being honest. Because I see Christian go, well, they're just not a good investment. No, no. God put that person in your life for a reason. Just because you don't like something about them doesn't mean you can cut them off. 
There's two sides of this coin. I've seen both sides. Like somebody is one of those ask holes. And then there's other people in our life that, you know, oh, well, maybe God's trying to teach you something about yourself. Because sometimes what, we, what happens, we don't realize this, is that we recognize a part of an a immature part of ourself in somebody else. And we cut them off when it's actually God brought them in life to fix something in us. But we're family. Smile break. Come on, smile break. So there's a relational shift. We have to understand where we're serving our time and energy. Number two, there's a perspective shift. I've been talking about this all weekend. We have to shift out of the system. Come on, we, we, we have to do relationship well. What would it, see, there is a generational divide right now. One of the practical ways you can actually, I just, give, I just gave this consulting to a church last week because they were asking me the question, how do we see the generational divide, uh, the gap bridged? Because the majority of their church is, is older in age and they're wanting to get younger people. Well, I go, well, you have some younger people in your church already. You know what you should do? You should invite the younger people to teach the older folks, put on a class on teaching them how to use iPhones, the internet, and computers, some of the things they're struggling with. Because they understand that technology, they don't understand. You get them in the room together, now you have conversations being created that bridges hearts and gap, and you have stories being told. Not only do you have a practical thing that's actually going to benefit both because they're learning how to teach and now they're learning how to receive. Now you get the conversation going. Not only is it a church thing, you advertise it for the community. See, some of you guys have ideas that you've limited to church, but God's trying to get it out into the community. Oh, I don't know if you got that. See, this is a resource center. God has given you two leaders who are resource, and they're trying to create a resource center here. And you guys, it means you guys are the resource. Come on. You have the mind of Christ. You have some of the brightest ideas. Look at you, Ronnie. I mean, you're a genius, bro. What you're doing right now. Do you know the impact that's going to have in the community? Some of you all have million-dollar ideas that you've limited to a poverty mindset within the church. And God's saying, you're on the train track. I'm trying to get you off-road. So there's a shift coming. Get ready. It's here. A perspective shift, meaning that we have to shift our perspective to think outside the box. We have to get outside the box of religion. Some of our ideas haven't come to pass for years because we keep thinking with the church mindset. Now here, I hope you understand. I'm not saying church is bad. I hope you heard everything I just said. I'm part of the church. One of my jobs is to equip the body. I'm here at a church. I don't hate church. I love church. But I'm trying to get the church to become the ecclesia, not the congregation of members. Come on, somebody. There's an authority shift. Oh, I got to give you this. Are you sure you want this? 
I don't know. I don't, I don't think y'all ready. Okay. <laughs> there's a difference between dominion and authority. And there's an authority shift into dominion right now. See, when you know your dominion, you get, when you know your dominion, the domain in which God's called you, it gives you legal right. There's a difference. Okay. We all have been given a dominion to reign and to rule. An area of influence, a metron. And in that metron, authority and dominion operate well different. This is something God just recently taught me, and it's, it's messed me up. Because I've been waiting to function in authority, and he's saying, no, I want you to function in dominion. Oh, no, no, okay, let me have. When you are in your dominion, it gives you legal right, which means the government of heaven has already agreed with God to what you were designed for, which also means the level of permitted authority. So authority is what God says we could do in his name. But dominion is everything that hears me now must obey. When you're in your dominion, heaven's already backing you because you were designed for that. So when to, for, to operate in dominion means you got to open your mouth and make the declaration so everything obeys. Oh, 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 see, I can operate in authority everywhere, but I only could be in dominion somewhere. And the opposite's happening right now. We're trying to dominate everywhere. That's the activism. We're trying to dominate our Christianity everywhere. And wonder why things aren't working. <laughs> so there's an authority shift to dominion. There's a resource shift that's happening. Now I got to give you this one. Are you sure you're ready for this? Oh, why is this happening? No. What's going on? Okay, we'll just do this. I want you to read John 21.7. How many know Peter was a fisherman? Right? Here's the issue. Many people, and I, I believe a lot of churches, are fishing in the same water instead of casting their nets into the troubled waters of humanity. I'm going to say it again. I believe the problem is here right now is that many people in churches are fishing in the same water instead of casting their nets into the troubled water of humanity. And we continue to recycle the same fish that have been caught by other ministries. And we're running the right way. We don't have any resources because God's hidden the resources in the fish's mouth. Many times fish represented humanity. And we wonder why we don't have the resources to build is because we keep fishing the same fish. Is God saying, hey, why don't you go to this community over here that's been unreached? There's hidden resources there that you will discover if you just go. See, there's some of them... Most brilliant businessmen aren't even in business right now. They're actually in the hood selling drugs. And they have a God-given gift, but no one's gone to them to say, hey, 
You have, see what the church says? We rebuke that. Now, selling drugs is wrong. Hear my, hear my heart. <laughs> hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying they're really businessmen. They didn't go to school for that. Yeah. And some are the most brilliant because they have a gift. But what happened? They haven't had somebody to say, hey, this is what you were designed for. Can I teach you how to shift that? Because you are actually supposed to shift the generational finances of your family that you guys would never go without. But you keep going over here robbing families. Come on. There's, there's several more. I want to stop right there. I want to give you some practical and we're done. So how, how do we do this? How do we do this? Come on, what's going on? I don't know what happened to my notes, but we're going to get back there. There we go. Where are you at? Okay. So how do we respond to the current shift? I'm going to give you a couple things real quick, practical. Number one, we must respond, not react. Big difference. There's a huge difference between respond and reaction. Response means to give a reply or an answer. A reaction means to act against an opposition. Right? Right now, in the political climate, we can't react. We want to respond and say this, God, what are you doing and what am I supposed to do? Right? To, to shift gears, we must respond, not react. Number two, we have to be willing to accept change because we're agents of change. I'm going to say it again. We have to be able to, re- to accept change. Change will eventually knock on everyone's door. The question is, will we answer the call? If the success of the future lies in our ability to recognize change, then we must at all costs change. I'm going to say that again. If the success of our future and future generations lies in our ability to shift and recognize change, then we must at all costs. Our ability to accept change is the hinge to fill our destiny. Ask Lot's wife. She wasn't willing to go forward. She had to look back. And because she was given, don't look back, go forward, what happened? Rather than becoming something, she actually turned into something. Now, but she became a pillar of salt. Rather than becoming a movement of salt, she became a pillar of salt. We must embrace change. Oh, man, you ready for this one? We must embrace the discomfort of change. Change will eventually not only knock, but often it's a tipping point for fresh encounters with God. However, most people embrace change only when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain it takes to change. With this in mind, we must change our perspective and begin to see change as an opportunity and promotion, not as our enemy. Remember, no pain, no change. Okay? Here's another one. We have to understand that God uses resistance to promote us. Now, I got to give this one real quick. Can you guys give me just five more minutes? Okay, 10, 15, 20, 25. Okay, good. 
God reminded me this morning, we were out, when we did campus ministry, uh, we were in the midst of a massive revival. And then all of a sudden, in one season, everything that we had favor in, promotion in, suddenly the doors were shut. Okay, so we were in revival. We had massive favor on the campus. Anything we wanted to do, we can do. And then in one season, everything that was once open now became shut. You know what I did? We started prayer meetings rebuking the enemy. Many doors that were open for five years were suddenly shut on the campus. <laughs> and we started rebuking the enemy. And then God says, nope, I'm actually changing. There's a shift. Your normal routine of having meetings, Bible studies, outreaches is now going to be completely ruined. Doors that were once open will now shut. And I was frustrated and began to approach the situa situation as resistance from the devil but fail to realize that God was trying to speak to us. And I want to propose to you that not everything is always the devil trying to come against you. More times, it's God trying to promote you. I think we tend to give too much credit to the devil and miss opportunities for promotion. It was in 2007. After the 2007 year, it was one of the greatest miracles we saw in 2008. <laughs> Everything began to shut. And God was actually trying to shift us. We were trying to hold on to something longer than its expiration date. You ever had sour milk? The milk that was once there to feed you now becomes sour, and you're still eating sour milk. Because you're not willing to change. Some of you have seen doors shut, and you think it's the enemy. It's not actually the enemy. If you would just ask God, what are you doing? Because once again, we react rather than respond. Come on, somebody. Two more. We must live a life of radical obedience. How many know Noah received a word from God that he was to make an ark because it was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights? To us, that may not seem like much, but to Noah, he had never heard the word rain. Oh, no, I don't know if you got that. He had never seen rain. He had no clue how it would come about. Many of us, God is going to speak to us to do things that does not make sense. And is going to reveal things that are to come that have never been seen before. But your obedience to step out will determine the outcome of your destiny. If Noah would have never been obedient his family and all his family and all humanity would have been destroyed. See, extreme purposes always require extreme obedience. This means that our success of our tomorrow is direct proportion to the depth of our obedience today. Every breakthrough in life comes as a result of radical obedience. Disobedience is a cancer that eats away at hope and dreams, destroying any chance of a success in the future. So bottom line is that our destiny is like Noah. It's shaped by our acts of obedience, radical obedience. And lastly, you guys go ahead and stand. We must begin preparation now. 
I'm going to use Noah again. How many know Noah had to prepare in order to save his family and destiny? Tomorrow's success is shaped by our willingness to prepare today. This means that the depth of our anointing will be in direct proportion to the depth of our preparation. We have to prepare now. Remember, there's something coming 2022 y'all need to get ready for. There's a radical shift that we're in. There's a transition. And I'm trying to prepare your hearts as, as much as I can because I'm telling you right now, these next couple years is the beginning where God is about to shift what church looks like in America. Oh, y'all need to hear my heart. He is shifting it. The face of church is going to change. Face of God's not. But how we do church is changing. We still honor the old. We honor everything we've been taught. But I got to tell you what, he wanted us to step into the new. Why? I shared so many reasons why, but a majority is his heart for generations. I prophesied to you now there's going to be massive denominations that are going to die out. You're going to see it even on newspapers. Not because God's mad or a cause it, but because they were willing, not willing to shift. Several years ago, a major company in England had to shut their doors because all they made were bells. It was actually on the front page. And what happens is that bells... Like you know, you know, like Liberty Bell bells. With all the technology, they were no longer in need, and they weren't willing to shift, so their business had to close down. Come on. See the pandemic. I believe God doesn't hear my heart. God didn't cause the virus, but in any hand He's dealt, He teaches us something. Know what the pandemic should have done? If, 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 if we as leaders in the church had eyes to see and ears to hear, it should have got our attention that we better change now because there's something greater than a pandemic coming that if we don't shift, you know how I many, I, I dare you to go and do a Google search on how many churches had to shut down during the pandemic because they weren't prepared. Preparations now. I can feel the intensity right now in this room. It's now. It's time to shift. You guys are ahead of the curve, core church. You guys are ahead. You guys are shifting. You shifted identity. You shifted name. Last year when I was here, some of you guys weren't even here. I'm seeing all these new faces. Why? Because you've heard the clarion call to connect with your tribe that is going in a direction where they're about to turn the world upside down. They're about to turn Conroe upside down. They're about to turn the region upside down. Come on. Transformation Center, come on. Think about the last year, how many, how many shifts and changes have happened here. And some of you guys who were here from the beginning, you've still been here, I congratulate you. Because many times when there's a change, there's resistance and people leave, and yet you're still here. You know what that tells me about you? You're hearing the Father's heart and willing to go where the Father's going. You're here. 
Then my question is, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Close your eyes. I got to do something different today. I'm sorry. I, I was planning on doing some ministry time, but I felt like God, this is a sovereign moment. Can I have somebody come play? Can somebody uh, come play, do some worship? Uh, because I feel like the Lord wants to do some business this morning. And um, I love individual prophetic ministry, but there's something greater than that is when God actually speaks to you himself. He doesn't have to go through a person. Um, this morning, I feel like there's a line that's been drawn. And um, can I read you a scripture real quick? Because I want to give you something. The Lord woke me up this morning. And I, I was having some, it was just, a, it's been a weird morning. This morning when me and Des woke up, uh, a website that I created for my mother-in-law's funeral was hacked. Like, who hacks a funeral website page? It's just, it's weird. And then Des got, a, uh, Des got a message today that somebody was trying to hack her Apple ID. And so it just was a weird morning, but I recognized, okay, God, you're speaking into this. And I heard the Lord say this this morning, that the political spirit of America is trying to hack the identity of believers. And it's trying to take us somewhere where we're not willing to go. Oh, I don't know if you got that. And I heard the Lord say this. I've been asking the Lord, you're speaking through prophets right now, some of my friends, about this, this is going to happen. Like this person is going to be voted in and it's already a done deal. And I'm like asking the Lord, what, what's going on? I heard something in Texas that rocked me. The Lord said that the current prophetic movement is going to have to die out so I can breathe new life into it again. Because the political spirit and the prophets have been in bed together. And he took me to Ezekiel 14. In Ezekiel 14 it says, Then some of the elders came to me and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I, be, should I consult them at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, thus said the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to a prophet, I the Lord will be brought to, to give him an answer in the multitude of the idol that's already in his heart. Some of you guys go, what does that mean? The elders of Israel came to Ezekiel the prophet to get consulting. The problem is they had idols in their heart and they actually consulted other gods. And so what the Lord told him, I'm going to give you an answer according to your consulting, but I'm going to answer you according to the idols that are already in your heart. So basically he's saying, you're going to hear what you want to hear according to the idols of your heart. I don't know if you got that. He said, you have an idol in your heart, so your filter right here, you're already getting an answer, and it's going to come as my voice, but it's going to be filtered through the idol of your heart, so you're going to hear what's already in your heart. You're not going to hear me. 
And I believe this morning, I just feel the intensity of this. I feel the love of God and I feel the goodness of God. But I heard this morning that the Lord said, it's time to do business. And I'm going to open up this altar and I'm going to ask if you guys want to sing, play, whatever you want to do. Because I feel like the Lord wants to meet people at this altar this morning. And he wants to talk to you. There's several things I heard the Lord said. He wants to give you direction. He wants to console your heart and mind. Some of you guys have been, your mind's been racing. You've had fear. And then for some of you, it's actually, he's going to give you strategies for the transition that you're currently in. But I felt like the Lord said he wanted to do it right now himself. So I'm going to pray something. Father, every son and daughter who is in here has the right to hear your voice. So I silence every voice that is not your voice. The voice of media is silence in this building. The voice of fear is silence in this building. And I declare right now over your sons and daughters that you would turn up the volume of your voice, that they would hear you clearly, that the way they walked in would not be the way they walked out. So Father, speak. You spoke and you said, this is what you want to do. So we pull on you this morning in Jesus' name. If that is you, and you need to hear from God right now. I want you to come to this altar right now. Just come. It's time to do business. Just come.